Daniel chapter eight. Again, remember Daniel's divided into three different sections like the book of Revelation. In chapter one, we have it written, the language is Hebrew. Uh, We finished chapter seven last week and chapters two through seven are written in the Aramaic. If you look at uh, chapter seven, verse 28, uh, this is where the Aramaic ends in chapter eight as we start the third section tonight, eight through 12, we revert back to the Hebrew. So with that, again, one thing I wanna point out, and we'll make more of a deal about it when we go through Revelation, that the book of Daniel is not given to us in a chronological order. And what we don't get very far Uh, Even verse one, it says, in the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, if you go back to chapter uh, seven, it says in the first, verse one, in the first year of Belshazzar. So we're reverting, chapter six is um, um, again dealing with the uh, um, Medo-Persian Empire. So in seven and eight, we're actually going backwards in time. And there's a two-year difference between the visions that Daniel has. This is the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar. A vision appeared to me, Daniel, after the one that appeared to me the first time. Now, Daniel's uh, prophetic vision of the ram, this is what this is going to be about sort of an overview here of the chapter, we'll have two unmatched horns. And the he-goat with one horn uh, places a microscope down on the conflict between the second and third world empires. In other words, between the Medo-Persian Empire, we'll be studying that tonight, but also Alexander the Great and the Grecian Empire. So that's what we have in view this evening. And really the struggle between the East and the West, between Asia and Europe. Uh, this was a struggle between the Medo-Persians and um, uh, Alexander the Great and the Grecian empires. The vision includes another little horn who has already been fulfilled in, his name is Antioch Epiphanes. Um, he was a great persecutor of the Jews And uh, we'll be looking at him tonight and comparing him to his counterpart, which is yet future. So in verse one, it gives us the year of of the first year of Belshazzar. Uh, Verse two, I saw in the vision, and so it happened while I was looking, that it was in Shushan. So even though he's in Babylon getting the vision, um, In the vision, he's not in Babylon. Shushan would be uh, the capital of the the Persians, the citadel, which is in the province of Elam. And I saw in the vision that I was by the river Uliah. So the reason for the setting of the vision being at Shushan rather than at Babylon, again, is that the vision concerns the second and third world empires. The events foretold in this vision 
were all fulfilled within 200 years. So that's a good thing to take in. Um, The Roman Empire, of course, lasted a whole lot longer than um, um, than these two. Verse three. Then I lifted up my eyes and I saw, and there beside the river was a ram which had two horns. And the two horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher one came up last. So what we have in view with the ram here uh, is the Medo-Persian Empire. The higher, it says, came up last. In other words, the horn representing the Medes came up first when the um, um, Medes general, Gobius is his name, destroyed Babylon. Then later, the Persian monarch gained, um, he ascended over the Medes, and he took the great empire even to a higher level. This ram then, with its two horns, one horn more prominent than the other, is the Medo-Persian empire, and the Persian being more dominant. So it's a picture. Basically, what we have here is... um, Daniel, now taken to um, Sushan, and he it's represented here in, in picture form with a ram with two horns, and the two horns describe the Medo-Persian Empire with the Persian Empire being bigger than the other. Verse four. Now I saw the ram pushing westward, northward, and southward. Now let me ask a question. What's, what's um, awkward with that phrase? Anybody got it figured out? Nope, nope, there's no push to the east. It was pushing westward, northward, and southward so that no beast could withstand him, nor was there any that could deliver from his hand, but he did according to his will and became great. Why doesn't it say he pushed eastward? Well, Persia was in the east and made no further advances into the far east. If they had gone farther in that direction, they had would be in the Orient. Um, They would be into India and China. However, they were projecting their empire in all other directions. Uh, This is the empire uh, which was represented by the bear in chapter seven. So the symbols that we have here in eight, um, in chapter seven, if you would go back and look at um, it, that would be, in verse five of chapter seven, suddenly another beast, a second like a bear, was raised up on one side. And in chapter seven, it was represented as a bear. Here, it's represented as um, this ram. So, and the reason it doesn't go any farther is because Persia was in the east. Brings us to verse five. And now we're introduced to another animal, the male goat. And Daniel, he said, as, as, as I was considering in his vision, he said, suddenly a male goat came up from the west across the surface of the whole earth without touching the ground. And a goat had a notable horn between his eyes. So in verse five, uh, Daniel was marveling at the power and the ability of the ram 
uh, coming from the west and having this um, dominant horn. Uh, the goat represents Greece, and the horn typifies Alexander the Great. Now, under Xerxes, Persia intended to move west, but from the west came the goat, which was moving so fast, it touched not the ground. That corresponds to the four winds, noted that um, back uh, with speed, Alexander moved his, his army. Back in chapter seven, if you go back and look, what that would correspond to would be um, verse six. There he's referred to as a leopard. I'll read it, uh, chapter seven, verse six. After this I looked and there was another like a leopard, uh, which also had on its back four wings of a bird. Uh, The beast also had four heads and dominion was given to it. Now we're gonna touch on that again tonight because what uh, this is referring to in verse five here is it's a male goat, but back in chapter seven, it's, it's represented as a leopard. All right, um, verses six through eight. Then he came to the ram, and they had two horns, which I had seen standing beside the river, and he ran at him with furious power. And I saw him confronting the ram, And he was moved with rage against him, attacked the ram, broke his two horns, and there was no power in the ram to withstand him. But he cast him down to the ground and and trampled him, and there was no one that could deliver the ram from his hand. Therefore, the male goat grew very great because he became strong. And the large horn was broken, and... In its place, four notable ones came up toward the four winds of heaven. So the horn, the great horn, is a a representation of Alexander the Great. Some people say he's the best um, military um, genius that ever ever lived. But he only lived to be 32 years old. And we're told, when it talks about him being broken, what that means is he died. But it was replaced by uh, the four winds of heaven. Um, this we talked about last week when we were in chapter 7. Uh, for it came up when Alexander died, his empire was divided among four men. These were his four generals. Um, historians say, Who inherits the kingdom? And he said, Give it to the strong. And these were the ones, not one man could match Alexander the Great's ability to literally control the entire world. But it's divided up into four different men. Again, any history student is very, very well aware of this. Um, The liberal theologians who have a problem with miracles or the ability to, to uh, believe in Bible prophecy um, is too precise and accurate, so they say that Daniel was written after the fact. Well, we know that that's not so because we have sources that can show otherwise. It's simply um, the two prophetic 
major prophetic books in the Bible is the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation. And again, tonight we'll see how they will dovetail together. So Alexander dies. Uh, The four generals, I'll give you their names here if you're interested. Uh, The four generals who divided the empire, Cassander, this guy was married to Alexander's sister. He took the European section, Macedonia and Greece. Lysimachus, who took the greater part of Asia Minor, which is modern Turkey. Seleucus, who took Asia, I'll be referring more to him because of, of the Antichrist type coming out of uh, Seleucus's empire. He took all the eastern parts of the empire except Egypt. And Ptolemy, this would have been Alexander's fourth general, he took Egypt and North Africa. And so what we have in view here, let's just do a little review. As we look back in world history, those who study um, archaeology and go back and, and date the pyramids and cultures and times, we can only really go back as far as the Egyptian empire. And that was the first world ruling empire. Um, Genesis 37, uh, all the way to the end of the book of Genesis is all about Joseph and his move down into Egypt. And just as Daniel, because of his gift of being able to interpret dreams, was raised up to the second most powerful position in Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar, And that's exactly what happened to Joseph. Joseph was thrown in jail because he was accused of of, um, a rape. And so they threw him in in prison. But while he was in prison, um, Pharaoh's butler and uh, Pharaoh's, well, one was a baker and the other one was a wine steward. They both had dreams. And Daniel interpreted both of them. And... uh, One of them was a death sentence to the baker and the other vision was in three days you're going to be free and you're going to be holding the cup once again before Pharaoh. And then he said, please, when when you get out of here, (laughs) remember me here that I'm the one that told you this. But the guy blows him off. He completely forgets. He gets caught up back in everyday life. But then Pharaoh has a dream. Um, The seven fat cows and the seven skinny cows, he has no idea what it's about, and nobody could tell him. And all of a sudden, ding, <laughs> the lights go on, goes, oh man, I promised that guy in jail that after he interpreted my dream, that I wouldn't forget about him and I forgot all about him. But now I remember because I can uh, tell the Pharaoh, there's a guy down there in prison, he told me that I was going to be out in three days and sure enough three days I was out and here I am and he says go get him so he interprets the dream and then he gives advice to the pharaoh he says what should I do why don't you pick out a smart guy who knows what he's talking about and put him over this affair and he looks at Joseph and he says who's smarter than you Joseph that can interpret dreams he's raised up to the number two position in the world. So we have Egypt with Joseph, very, very similar in a lot of ways to Daniel. Daniel was raised up to the number two position in um, Babylon, and now he's going to get raised up to, to the number 
to position um, and promoted uh, under Darius. Um, and that again goes back to chapter 6. All right, so um, where did we leave off? Let's go back to chapter 8. We have the division of um, uh, these lands to the four generals. Verse 9 tells us, we switch gears here, and the focus now is the little horn. Just one verse. And out of one of them came a little horn. One of what? Well, one of these four horns, or in other words, out of one of these four generals, grew a little horn which grew exceedingly great towards the south, towards the east, and towards the glorious land. The glorious land here is a reference to Israel. And we read here the little horn of this chapter is not the same as described in the previous chapter. Now we talked about a little horn in chapter seven. There, the little horn arises from the fourth kingdom. Here the little horn comes out of the third kingdom. So one comes out of the revived Roman Empire and we went to Daniel chapter nine and we talked about the prince of the people who was to come. Uh, It's a reference to the Antichrist. He's the one who makes a peace treaty with Israel for seven years. If you're taking notes, we'll be there next week. I was almost tempted to take eight and nine together, but there's no way that's going to (laughs) happen. There's just too much. That's in uh, Daniel chapter uh, nine, so we'll hold off on that. But the little horn here is not the same one in chapter seven. This one comes out of... um, um, uh, of Seleucus's, the little horn being presented here came out of Syria. Uh, he was, we call him Antioch Epiphanes. He was a son of Antiochus the Great. He's some called, sometimes called Epiphanes. He was a madman, and he was another uh, demented and dictatorial ruler. Now, the period of time of this, Antioch came to his throne in 175 B.C. All right, when you get to the book of Malachi and you read the last couple verses and it tells us that I'm going to send you Elijah, the prophet, before that great and terrible day of the Lord, period, end of Old Testament. And then God is silent for 400 years. Have you heard the terminology, the 400 silent years? Why is it silent? God is not speaking through the prophets. The last Old Testament prophet is not Malachi. According to Jesus, the last Old Testament prophet is John the Baptist. And that's what the Lord called, called him. So during this 400 uh, years uh, silent time, what happened was Antioch Epiphanes made an attack on Jerusalem on his way back from having this warfare uh, in Egypt. It was against him that the Maccabees raised up, were raised up in Judah. They were 
He was anti-Semitic to the core. He tried to exterminate the Jews. He placed an image of Jupiter in the holy place in the temple in Jerusalem. This was the first abomination of desolation. He also poured swine broth over the holy vessels. Now, to a Jew, that is very unkosher. (laughs) No ham sandwiches. (laughs) And so it was a real defilement that took place here, and it's actually referred to as the abomination of desolation. Of course, it's a foreshadowing of what is going to be in the future. So that's verse 9. The 400 silent years, God was not speaking. But that doesn't mean that um, um, uh, there wasn't spiritual warfare going on. And when we talk about, as we look at what's going on right now, there's, again, there's a physical part of it, there's a political part of it, and then there's a spiritual part of it. Because the Bible talks a lot about this. You guys know that there was a 6.0 earthquake outside of Fresno, between Fresno and Yosemite today, and a 7.1 down next to Honduras, just above Guatemala. That's just, just today. It was 10.45 this morning. I got up, I got an app that I have just for earthquakes. And uh, I get up in the morning, and, I, and if it's significant, it'll come up. Well, there was two within hours of each other. One, 7.4 down in, um, off of Honduras somewhere. And then this one would be close, it would be between Fresno and Yosemite National Park. And that was a 6.0. And the only reason I bring that up is because these are birth pains. And the Lord says there's going to be an increase in earthquakes in the last days. So we're either seeing that happen or not, and I can put up the charts that show you the the increase. But my point in verse 10 here is the spiritual aspect of it. And it says, it grew up to the host of heaven, and it cast down some of the host and some of the stars to the ground and trampled them. Now, um, there, there are times when you read a scripture like that where I can't be dogmatic and um, I usually have a filing cabinet saying waiting for further information. But when we get to chapter 10, most of chapter 10 is Daniel waiting 21 days because he had a prayer request and Daniel is the type of guy when he prays he expects the Lord to talk back to him. And the Lord wasn't talking back and didn't talk back for 21, uh, 21 days. Um, Turn the page to chapter 10. I'll just make my point this way. The spiritual warfare is highlighted in the book of Daniel. Um, Let me find it. Let's pick it up in verse 10. Uh, Daniel, um, then suddenly a hand touched me. Um, I'm 10, chapter 10, verse 10. Made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. And he said to me, O Daniel, greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. And while he was speaking his words to me, I stood trembling. 
This is what happens almost without exception when somebody sees an angel. We have a complete misunderstanding of an angel in their angelic form. Uh, There are angels um, that appear in human form. Uh, Doesn't the Bible say, be careful how you entertain strangers because some of you have entertained angels unaware. Be nice to that guy. (laughs) And I say guy because there's no mention anywhere about an angel anywhere in scripture being female. They're always male, without exception. And they have different levels of authority and power. And that's the case right here. Because then we read Daniel's, uh, Gabriel's definitely a heavyweight. And then he said, do not fear Daniel, for from the first day, this is three weeks later, that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. Notice, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia. This is a demonic spirit. But he carries with it a title of prince. He withstood me 21 days, and behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left alone with the king of Persia. So... Um, once uh, Michael shows up, uh, he outweighed in authority and power this angel that was called the prince of the kingdom of Persia. Now I'll tell you why that's interesting to me because modern day Persia is called Iran. And um, again, oh, I can't give too much away about a week from Sunday. But this is going to play into it. Iran is a major player along with Russia and Turkey um, as it involves their hatred and animosity and their goal to actually come against Israel. Every day there's more and more anti-Semitism being exposed in the world. Somebody want to give me an amen to that? They're tearing down statues all over the world and they're writing anti-Semitic Things out. There's never been, I've never seen anything like it in my lifetime. Uh, right before my lifetime, the end of World War II, of course, was Hitler. And the type of the Antichrist here, very, very much a demon-possessed person. So my point with all this is if we go back to verse 10 in chapter 8, we're talking, um, I think, spiritual warfare, um, in the book of Jude, it talks about uh, uh, Daniel and his angels uh, fighting against Michael and his angels. Evidently, Michael was a warrior over the body of Satan, uh, Satan over the body of, uh, of Moses. And so I'm just going to leave that as it is. Uh, but it, what it implies and what we want to be aware of is there's a lot of spiritual warfare because whatever was given to Daniel was extremely important and the devil did not want you to have that information. Still doesn't want people to have information today knowing what we know and what's going to happen. All right, 11 and 12. He even exalted himself as high as the prince of the host And by him the daily sacrifice was taken away, and the place of his sanctuary was cast down. And 
Because of transgressions, an army was given over to the horn to oppose the daily sacrifice, and he cast truth down to the ground, and he did all this, and he prospered. All right. Antioch Epiphanes was devoted to the god Jupiter, of whom he, he may have thought himself sort of a reincarnation of Jupiter, he chose for himself the title of Epiphanes. It means God manifested. So talk about an ego problem, he had one. And um, he set up in the temple a statue. He not only poured um, um, swine broth over the, the vessels, but in, in the temple he put up um, a statue of Jupiter. And that's what this is referenced to here in 11 and 12. So it caused such, it incensed the Jews so much that um, there are Bibles that have extra books put in them. And one of them is uh, First and Second Maccabees. It's not a part of scriptures, but the Maccabees were a real people. And as we look at verses 13 and 14, um, there's been a lot of misunderstanding about these two verses. Uh, Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to that certain one who was speaking, well, how long will the vision be concerning the daily sacrifices? All right, in the temple, you had sacrifices every single day. And now the temple's defiled. They can't have sacrifices. And the question is, how long can't they have the sacrifices for? And the daily sacrifice and the transgression of desolation, the giving of both the sanctuary and the host to be trampled underfoot. And he said to me, for 2,300 days, then the sanctuary shall be cleansed. All right, while I'm doing this, I want you to turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 10, and I'm going to give you a little background. There's been a great deal of disagreement to the interpretation of these 2,300 days, and um, for example, the the seven-day Adventist grew out of the Second Great Awakening, in which this verse was given a day-year interpretation. In other words, for the 2,300 days, they took it as 2,300 years, and they set the date for Jesus' second coming was set for 1843. William Miller and his followers, along with Ellen G. White, understood the sanctuary to be planet Earth, that's the way they interpreted it, which would be cleansed at his coming. Miller was sincere, but a badly mistaken Baptist preacher. The day-year interpretation was fragile, and uh, an insincere foundation from any theory of prophecy, and history has demonstrated it to be false. Well, There was a lot of people, I think it was outside of Zion, Illinois, if I remember right, and I think that's what they call Zion. And they were up there with their white gowns on, waiting for the Lord to come, and um, he didn't show up. 
That's why we should never set dates. No man knows the day or the hour of the rapture of the church. We'll be spending a lot of time on that when we get to chapter four, verse one. Now having said that, next week we're gonna be in Daniel chapter nine. And I can tell you to the very day that Jesus was allowed himself to be worshiped as the son of God, where he allowed that to happen. All the other times when he would do a miracle, don't tell anybody, don't tell them I'm the Christ, but they did it anyway. <laughs> Imagine never seeing before. Now don't tell anybody. <laughs> what are you gonna do? You're gonna tell everybody. And, um, but not on this day, but that's Daniel chapter nine. Daniel chapter 12, when we get there, I can tell you to the day when Jesus is going to come again. That's how Daniel chapter 12 ends. So what are you saying, Dwight? Well, I can tell you the day when he came the first time, and I can tell you um, the time we're at the second coming. What I'm not mentioning right now is the rapture. And that is in Matthew 24, and that tells us no man knows the day or the hour, only my Father in heaven. And so that event, and we'll be talking about that, um, could happen at any time. I'm all for, after listening to worship tonight, I want to see your face. Oh, Lord, I want to see your face. I want a new body on top of it. (laughs) And just the longing with all the craziness that's going on. I'm saying, let's get it. My attitude is, bring it on. Take us home. Unfortunately, for us, (laughs) the Lord is long-suffering, and he's patient, and he's not willing, what? That any should perish. Maybe there, just think, um, Edgar Wisden wrote a book in 1988, 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming in 1988. Well, it didn't sell very well in 1989, let me just put it that way. (laughs) And it's the whole whole danger of doing stuff like that. Uh, The rapture is imminent. And... um, just, I'm not looking for hands right now, but just think, how many of you got saved within the last five years? And what if the Lord would have come in 1988? That means you would be left behind and you'd be in the, in the tribulation. Well, the tribulation would have come and gone already. And um, so we don't know the day or the hour, and I thank the Lord because there's a lot of people that are still unsaved that we're praying for and hoping, um, as they got a little bit of extra time for free thinking, they'll maybe start taking seriously some of the stuff that we've been talking about and giving the Lord and his word a second chance. I like to tell people, don't bet against this being wrong because it's never been wrong, not once. It is inerrant. Every Bible prophecy in here that we've studied, we're studying Right now, all of this is history. And it, it drives the liberal, liberal Christians crazy because it's prophetic. And uh, they don't believe that God foretells things in advance. Well, they, don't, they certainly haven't done their homework very well. When I, got, when I got saved, I didn't know anything about Bible prophecy. Uh, I read the late great planet Earth, and I mean, God tells things before they happen. And he starts laying these things out. And um, it totally blew my mind. 
It gave me a completely different perspective of Israel. Um, I loved, I immediately loved the Jewish people, not because they were a nation. I didn't know any of that stuff. I loved Israel for one reason. That is, Jesus is Jewish. <laughs> it was really that simple in my, my simple-minded faith. If Jesus is a Jew, then I love the Jewish people. Not really that simple. So what we have here in verses, these, the, the, the sanctuary verses, he didn't come in, um, I, I, turned, I asked you to turn to John 10, correct? Okay, so you're there, let me catch up. However, uh, so the, the day year was a mistake. However, the 2300 days, if that's taken literally for 24 hour days, the period would be between six and seven years, which approximates the time of uh, Ant- Ant- Antichus at about 170 BC. I think, if I remember my notes, it was 164 BC. And finally, the Jew- he was a Jewish priest. His name was Judas Maccabeus. His nickname, the Hammer. He drove out the Syrian army at which time the temple was cleansed and rededicated it after it was polluted. The cleansing is celebrated in the Feast of Lights. Now, if you're in John 10, I want you to look at verse 22. We read, and it was at Jerusalem, the Feast of the Dedication, um, the rededication of lights, where they were able to light uh, the lamp stands again, and it was winter. Uh, somebody asked me, I don't know who it was, I think it was a men's prayer, if it ever snows in, in Israel. And I said, yes, but very rarely. And it mentions winter. And I was thinking of this verse when, when I was talking about it. This was one of the holy days celebrated at the time of Christ, which is still remembered by the Jews to this day, it is first. It is it's a, fe- a festival not mentioned in the Old Testament, because the Old Testament ended after Malachi, and that was four hundred years before John the Baptist shows up. And so the date here of the Maccabean revolt and Judas Maccabeus defeating um, the, the Syrians um, is a feast that's established in the New Testament. Uh, because it was established uh, in, in this intern period between the 400 silent years uh, between the Old and the New Testament. All right, so the answer to the question is it's a literal 2,300 days would be the time that they did not have, that six to seven year period of time where the, they were not, did not have the temple. All right, verses 15 through 19. Now it happened when I, Daniel, had seen the vision and, and was seeking the meaning that suddenly there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Uli, who called and said, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. And so he came near where I stood And when he came, I was afraid, and I fell on my face. But he said to me, understand, son of man, that the vision refers to the time 
of the end. Now hold that thought right there and notice how it's worded, the time of the end. And while I was speaking with me, I was in a deep sleep with my face to the ground, but he touched me and stood me upright and he said, look, I am making known to you what shall happen in the latter time of the indignation. Now, now we're switching gears. We're going to the latter times. Um, again, if you were here on Sunday, we were in Isaiah chapter 26. Um, for the appointed time shall be. What the heck, we got time. And so let's go to Isaiah 26, if you weren't here on Sunday. And we took these as rapture verses. And the reason I'm going here is the word indignation. I was trying to make the point that the great tribulation has different names attributed to it. My favorite one is the time of Jacob's trouble. Next week we'll be in Daniel 9. That's what we call it Daniel's 70th week. God owes Israel seven years. And it's one of the strongest arguments for the pre-trib rapture. The seven years is not Gentile. It's given to the Jewish people in the holy city. And we'll learn that clearly next week in Daniel 9, verse 24. But in verse, verse 10, we're talking about the church being taken out before the tribulation begins. So if you're in chapter 26, verse 20, it says, come my people, enter your chambers and shut your doors behind you. Hide yourself as it were for a little moment. How much is a little moment? Seven years until the indignation is passed. So what we're learning tonight is there's a clear reference to this uh, latter time, the tribulation, and Daniel chapter eight, it's referred to as indignation. But it's also Daniel's 70th week, um, uh, the time of Jacob's trouble, and so on and so forth. Why? For behold, the Lord comes out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. And you go, you think, you see what's going on today and how bad things are getting. And you go, Lord, how long are you going to put up with this? And sometimes he taps me on the shoulder and says, nobody's getting away with anything. Uh, He's being patient. But what does Genesis tell us? Like the days of Noah. He says, I will not always strive with man. He's striving with a lot of people today to get saved. But they're fighting him. John tells us the real reason people don't come to Christ. It says because they love the darkness more than the light. They like living in sin. And so if I get saved, that means, well, I can't do that and that and that and that, and they go off their list of things they can't do anymore. None of those things will bring you peace. Fill in the blank, none of them. The only thing that can bring peace is the Prince of Peace. Good place for an amen. So, The Lord is patient, but like it says in Genesis, I will not always strive with man. And so there's a tug of war going on right now every time somebody hears the gospel. You know it's true, because Roman 1 tells us it's true. Because of creation. Um, They say the sunsets are going to be really nice because of this dust storm that's blowing off of Africa right now. So the first part of next week, he said the sunsets are going to be beautiful. Come on, go out and look at a sunset and tell me there's none of God. Have an intelligent conversation. Have an 
not intelligent conversation, you're talking. <laughs> and you're stringing one word onto another one. And uh, you're telling me that all happened by chance? Romans 1 says, they're suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. They know the truth. They know this, all this just didn't happen. There has to be a creator. And so they know that, but they suppress that. John tells us because they love the darkness more than the light. And that's the real reason. Well, I'm an atheist or I'm an agnostic. No, you're not. When somebody tells me that, I said, no, you're not. What do you mean? You can't tell me I'm not. I just said I was. And I say, "Um, you're an agnostic. Okay, well, the Greek is ignoramus. So if you want to call yourself an ignoramus, go ahead. Fine with me. (laughs) To punish, verse uh, 21, to punish the inhabitants for their iniquity, and the earth will also disclose her blood, and I will no more cover her slain. Revelation chapter 6, verse 17, it's the wrath of the Lamb. And just in the, in the seal judgments, um, you have, um, uh, in the second seal that's opened, we have two I did the math this morning. What was it? Because we're approaching 8 billion now. A quarter of the earth is gone. So we're talking 2 billion people before you get to the end of chapter 6. And those that are mid-trib, pre-wrath, or post, um, you, t- you tell me that 2 billion people dying in, in uh, just the plagues of the four horsemen that, that come... Uh, and you're not in tribulation, you're in tribulation. You can't, you can't dance around that. And we'll talk more about that when we get into the different views on, on the rapture. So let's read this again from verse 20. Come, my people, enter your chambers. We went to John 14. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again that where I am, you may be also. That's what he's talking about here. He's Go into your chamber, the place that he's created for you. Shut your doors behind you. How long? For a little while. Until when? Until, until the indignation is over. You see, Joel tells us that the Lord returns with ten thousands of his saints. So we come back with him. That's why they're in there only for a little while. Uh, the Lord goes out to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth will also disclose her blood and will no more cover the slain. Okay, back to Daniel chapter uh, 8. Here, in 15 through 19, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> Gabriel, in the explanation that follows, will make it clear that, the, that Antioch Epiphanes is but a picture in miniature of the coming Antichrist. For at the end, uh, for at the time of the end shall be the vision. Notice that it is for, the t- it says the time of the end, and it doesn't say the end of time. Nowhere in the Bible are we told about the end of time. The time of the end locates the complete fulfillment of this prophecy in the period which our Lord Jesus Christ called the Great Tribulation. Uh, the man referred to is the Antichrist, 
also called the man of sin, and the little horn of chapter seven. This prophecy goes beyond the immediate, into the immediate future and is projected into the future. Even today, it's still in the future. So Antioch Epiphanes is merely a picture of another little horn who will come at the end of the time of the Gentiles, which is made abundantly clear by the use of these eschatology terms. Eschatology is simply a study of last day things. So it's interesting to me that we know for sure one of these guys is Elijah, two witnesses. Amen? Matthew 17, Moses and Elijah appear to the Lord. And then in Revelation 11, they're called the two two lampstands. And their testimony is 1,260 days. That's exactly three and a half years. So it goes something like this. Rapture, because we're the witness and salt light of the world. God always leaves a witness. Who's the first ones that show up? Moses and Elijah. And we know that because it tells us that their ministry is for 1,260 days, and then they're killed. But God always leaves a witness, so they're dead, so now who is he using? Well, this goes to the angel that preaches the everlasting gospel. Man will be without excuse, and man will be forced to choose. And so the reason I think the Lord allowed this Antioch Epiphanes guy to commit an act they actually call the abomination of desolation is that when we tell people about future events, and we say, you better be ready because you sure don't want to enter into, remember we read all of uh, Isaiah 24, and it got very detailed, talking about man being rare, the earth will wobble, and it gives the whole chapter 24 of Isaiah 24, if you weren't here Sunday, write it down, go home and read it. It gives great detail of just what a time of devastation that's going to be. Uh, this is a picnic compared to what's coming. But then we tell people that, um, yeah, there's gonna be a one world government and a one world religion, and sometimes they'll roll their eyes at you, or maybe you're telling them about the Antichrist and the abomination of desolation. They go, you really believe that? Has that ever happened before? Well, <laughs> as a matter of fact, it has. Oh, you tell me it's not gonna rain for uh, three and a half years. That's what Elijah says. It didn't rain in the days of their ministry. Well, how long was the days of their ministry? Three and a half years. Well, has that ever happened before? Yeah, by the same Elijah. During the time of Jezebel and Ahaz. He says, it's not going to rain, Ahab, until I say so. And exactly, James tells us that that Elijah was an ordinary man just like you and just like me, but when he prayed, it didn't rain. This is New Testament now, James 5. It didn't rain for the space of three and a half years. Now, the reason I think he does it in the Old Testament so that we don't go, you get, come on, let's be realistic here. And um, no, he lets us see it happen before, and now he tells us it's gonna happen again. And now we have a picture of the abomination of desolation. And because it happened before, it gives me greater faith to believe that it is going to happen again. Another good place for an amen. So the Lord said to a jot or a tittle, it's all gotta come to pass. 
If it says it is written, then it has to come to pass. Let's finish it up. The interpretation, um, uh, verse 20, it gives us the interpretation. Now it's clear, it was symbolism before. The ram which you saw having the two horns, they are the kings of the Medes and the Persians. There it is. The interpretation of the male goat. And the male goat is the kingdom of Greece, the large horn that is between the eyes is the first king. This is Alexander the Great. Again, a fact of history. As for the four horns and the four that stood up in its place, four kingdoms shall arise out of that nation, but not with its own power. And so we have um, the four generals that we mentioned earlier. Now the interpretation uh, of the uh, little horn, 23 through 25, and in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgression has reached their fullness, a king shall arise, having a fierce features, who understands sinister schemes, his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. Uh, we'll be going to Revelation 13. Keep that in mind, this verse right here. But not by his own power. He shall destroy fearfully and shall prosper and thrive. He shall destroy the mighty also and the holy people. Through his cunning, he shall cause deceit to prosper under his hand. He shall magnify himself in his heart and he shall destroy many in their prosperity. He shall even rise against the prince of princes. This is a reference to Jesus. But he shall be broken without human hands. All right, let's turn to uh, Revelation chapter 13. And again, the reason I like doing this is it connects the dots. It says he will come against and destroy the the people. Well, um, verse four tells us he doesn't have his own power. Chapter 12 is a picture of Lucifer and Michael battling it out, but Lucifer is cast to the earth and now he knows he only has a short time. It's during this period of time that the Antichrist is gonna have a, a deadly head wound and this is, he, it says in verse three, as a head wound was healed, all the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worshiped the dragon who gave authority to the beast. What does Daniel 8 tell us? The Antichrist is gonna have power, but it won't be by his own power. More detail is given here in verse four. Where does he get his power? He gets it from the dragon who gave authority to the beast, so they worship the beast, saying, who's like the beast? Who's able to make war with him? And he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, for he was given authority to continue for 42 months. This is the middle of, and we'll be here again next week, the middle of the tribulation when we study Daniel chapter nine. Because he makes a seven-year agreement, but he breaks it, it says, in the middle of that program. Verse seven, also a reference to Daniel seven and Daniel eight. And it was granted for him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given to him over every tribe, tongue, and nation, over the world. And now, um, let's go back and we'll finish up our chapter because I've got my time. 
And I thought I was going to sneak in chapter 9. <laughs> All right, imagine having a vision like this. What would that do to your noodle? This is what it did to Daniel's, verse 26. And the vision of the evening and the morning which was told is true. Therefore, seal up the vision, for it refers to many days in the future. And I, Daniel, fainted and was sick for days. Afterwards, I arose and went out about the king's business. I was astonished by the vision, but no one understood it. So as we conclude tonight, let's summarize. Antioch Epiphanes is a picture of a king who is coming, and he will do four things which Antioch Epiphanes uh, did. He shall cause craft to prosper in his hands. We are told in Revelation 13, 17, that no one will be able to buy or sell without the mark of the beast. He will control the economy with vengeance. Number two, he will magnify himself in his heart. Revelation 13, 5 says that he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemy and he will be given power to continue for 42 months. Um, He is uh, empowered by Satan and he is therefore full of Satan's pride. Number three, by peace destroy many. He makes a peace agreement that would only be the natural thing to do after millions of people disappear from planet Earth. This pandemic is nothing. If you think this is shaking up people, wait till a couple million people disappear. They'll be wide open for any, anything and anybody that can give an answer to these things. Second Thessalonians says there's going to be a strong delusion and they will believe the lie. So whatever the Antichrist comes up with, it is the lie. The truth is we were raptured. Uh, and the last one is he shall stand up against the prince of peace. And here's the good news. Um, the hope that we have. You see, he will oppose and fight against Jesus. One of the marks of Antichrist in the first beast in Revelation 13 is against that one. The very first thing that Jesus does when he returns is he takes a false prophet and the Antichrist and he throws them directly into the lake of fire. They're the first ones that go in. And then the Lord establishes his kingdom and you have responsibility there. When we get to the seven churches, what is one of the promises? We're gonna rule and reign with him. And to the degree that we're faithful in whatever God has called you to do, and that includes moms being a homeschooler or just taking care of the house or whatever responsibilities that the Lord has given to you, just be faithful. And don't quit doing them because it really does determine um, what your position is going to be uh, when we enter into the kingdom. Pretty good place to end the study, don't you think? Let's stand and we'll close the prayer. Lord, thank you for your word tonight. And um, uh, that you lay these things out. We're, we're grateful, Lord. The, the deeper we go, the, the deeper your word gets. And, and we thank you uh, that we see the foreshadowing of the Elijahs and the three and a half years of rain and Antioch epiphanies and the abomination of desolation and how they're just foreshadows of what's yet to come. So Lord, we thank you because it does increase our faith and um, we just pray as we go out tonight, you bless our fellowship in Jesus' name, amen.
of that program. Verse seven, also a reference to Daniel seven and Daniel eight. And it was granted for him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given to him over every tribe, tongue, and nation over the world. And now, um, let's go back and we'll finish up our chapter because I've got my time. And I thought I was going to sneak in chapter 9. <laughs> All right, imagine having a vision like this. What would that do to your noodle? This is what it did to Daniel's, verse 26. And the vision of the evening and the morning which was told is true. Therefore, seal up the vision, for it refers to many days in the future. And I, Daniel, fainted and was sick for days. Afterwards, I arose and went out about the king's business. I was astonished by the vision, but no one understood it. So as we conclude tonight, let's summarize. Antioch Epiphanes is a picture of a king who is coming, and he will do four things which Antioch Epiphanes uh, did. He shall cause craft to prosper in his hands. We are told in Revelation 13, 17, that no one will be able to buy or sell without the mark of the beast. He will control the economy with vengeance. Number two, he will magnify himself in his heart. Revelation 13, 5 says that he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemy and he will be given power to continue for 42 months. Um, He is uh, empowered by Satan and he is therefore full of Satan's pride. Number three, by peace destroy many. He makes a peace agreement that would only be the natural thing to do after millions of people disappear from planet Earth. This pandemic is nothing. If you think this is shaking up people, wait till a couple million people disappear. They'll be wide open for any, anything and anybody that can give an answer to these things. Second Thessalonians says there's going to be a strong delusion and they will believe the lie. So whatever the Antichrist comes up with, it is the lie. The truth is we were raptured. Uh, and the last one is he shall stand up against the prince of peace. And here's the good news. Um, the hope that we have. You see, he will oppose and fight against Jesus. One of the marks of Antichrist in the first beast in Revelation 13 is against that one. The very first thing that Jesus does when he returns is he takes a false prophet and the Antichrist and he throws them directly into the lake of fire. They're the first ones that go in. And then the Lord establishes his kingdom and you have responsibility there. When we get to the seven churches, what is one of the promises? We're gonna rule and reign with him. And to the degree that we're faithful in whatever God has called you to do, and that includes moms being a homeschooler or just taking care of the house or whatever responsibilities that the Lord has given to you, just be faithful. And don't quit doing them because it really does determine um, what your position is going to be uh, when we enter into the kingdom. Pretty good place to end the study, don't you think? Let's stand and we'll close in prayer. Lord, thank you for your word tonight. And... Um, Uh, that you lay these things out 
We're, we're grateful, Lord. The, the deeper we go, the, the deeper your word gets. And, and we thank you uh, that we see the foreshadowing of the Elijahs and the three and a half years of rain and Antioch Epiphanies and the abomination of desolation and how they're just foreshadows of what's yet to come. So Lord, we thank you because it does increase our faith. And um, we just pray as we go out tonight, you bless our fellowship in Jesus' name. Amen.